Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. This is episode 676, which is actually a throwback, or throwback, to episode 92, Bob's Superlative Disorder, which was originally published July 2014. And today is Bob's, Bobby's birthday. So I thought, you know, I, I never knew the word superlative before we did this episode. And it was just a long time ago. Let's throw back and listen to it as a way of saying happy birthday to Bob, an infant emeritus, <laughs> I suppose, infant emeritus. So, with no further ado, I give you this Throwback Friday, Bob's Superlative Disorder, fun episode, fun, so fun. It's the best. It is the most best, 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 most, best, most, best, best, most, best, most episode. The most, most, most important thing we can do in this life. This is the most, most important knowledge on earth. It is the most, most, most correct of any book on earth. The most, most, most important. This is obviously the most, most, most important message that God the Father could possibly give to his children. This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Bob Caswell, and today we're going to talk about the issue of the day. That is the most important issue facing humanity today. What might that be, you ask? Well, we're going to get into it pretty quickly, and you're just going to have to listen to find out. See what I did there? Kind of a cheap trick, I know. With all that buildup, you'd think you'd already know what it is I'm talking about. If, I mean, whatever it is truly is the issue of the day, it needs no introduction. All right, enough of that. It'll make sense later, I promise. But here's the deal. When we first started this podcast, we talked about how all of us had the shared experience of having to take what we thought we knew about the universe and living life in general and, well, basically deconstruct it and reconstruct it and answer lots of questions that we had thought we had already answered. What really matters? 
what defines our principles, our morality, our ethics, if there really isn't one true church to look to when all else fails. And all else does fail, right? I mean, that's kind of part of the sales pitch of Mormonism. It's sort of a big deal if you're just stuck with the all else fails part once you figure out Mormonism isn't the true part of the formula. So what you're about to hear is a bit of us thinking out loud in terms of how to approach life after Mormonism, especially as we interact with our fellow friends and family who are still very much Mormon. Interestingly enough, it seems we're all over the place in how we approach this. Joining me for this conversation are the usual suspects, Glenn, Randy, Jake, and Tom. So let's get right to it. So... Yeah, I've been having this idea for a long time, even before my disaffection. I, I coined this term, unless somebody wants to claim that they invented it a long time ago. Um, I Googled I to, it, and it's not, it's not anywhere in the Google, Googleverse. So. That makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, so what I coined was, is called superlative disorder. So it really bugged me every time I heard somebody use a superlative in a, in a talk, and especially general authorities. And... By bugged me, it just it just ate at me over the years until the point where I started wanting to compare it and, and understand where it came from. Can, can can we pause and have you define superlative? Yeah, so superlative is is oof, man, I should have done the Webster thing. That would have been like typical Mormon. Let me start my talk with. Um, <laughs> I think it, it's associated with hyperbole, the it, greatest. Yeah, it's anything with the EST on the end of the word, the most important, or, or most is, is, is the other form of it when it's not uh, modified on the, on the adjective directly, but it's, it's just the most extreme. It's, it's the top. What's, what's the right way to explain? Here, here's, what here's what it says because I, I Googled this too. <laughs> the, the highest quality or degree, and then the synonyms are, and I mean, this just sounds like a conference talk, just the, just the list of synonyms. <laughs> Excellent, magnificent, wonderful, marvelous, supreme, <laughs> consummate, outstanding, remarkable, fine, choice, first Okay, rate. enough, Thomas Monson. Yeah. Jeez. I don't know. I'm thinking Oaks on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but see, those words in and of themselves aren't too bad because they don't mean anything but as soon as you say most or um best or something that has like the two other forms which are the middle and the lower like good better best um then all of a sudden you're forcing brains to associate that what they're hearing is the top of the list and that there is there is some list hidden or not that this thing that we're talking about is at the top of. So, like, for instance, this all originated from Joseph Smith himself because he was the first one to use superlative disorder by claiming the Book of Mormon was the most correct book, which, Mm. leave aside that nobody knows what that even means. It's not really a logical, you know, statement. What is correct? Somebody define the most correct book of all time. I have no idea. Perfect. There's no such thing. There's no such uh, thing. In his in his mind, there was. That well, was it. You can't you can't stop the quote though. There, you, you've got to go on and say what what because he he explains what he means by it. That a man right. will draw nearer to God by abiding by its principles than by any other book. Yeah. So right. that that he explained his superlative. You've just got to <laughs> include it. Well, okay, so that's fair. Nice, nice little defense of Joseph there. Um, <laughs> I, I, 
because so then it's not so much a defense of jo- uh, Joseph as it is a challenge of Bob. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, when I first heard that, my my question always was like, well, what's the second most like wh- which wh- what book? I guess it was the Bible, right? Was just like King of the Universe as the most correct book until the Book of Mormon came along, and it's like, nope, the Bible's number two now. And then it makes me wonder, well, what's number three? Like, if we're gonna rank something, Doctrine then you gotta. Covenants. You gotta you gotta have everything around it, or else the context isn't as valuable. Because if you say it in isolation, that's easy. But but it's the comparison that makes the statement actually hold value. But of course, in a conference talk, um, I think it's a cheap trick because you don't actually have to do the comparison because that's actually really hard to do and and paints you into a corner. Um, but you get the emotional resonance and and connection if you use a superlative, but then don't explain why it's a superlative or what it's above or, you know, what number two, three, or four are on the list. Um, so that's, that's always bugged me. And I, I don't know, I've been wanting to do a podcast about it for a long time. I didn't know if anybody else cared. Um, yeah, but you, you, you haven't finished. Uh, you, you want to do the inverse, the ex Mormon superlative. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of a point of feedback toward uh, Keith from... No! Our... It's okay, I'm not going to be mean. No, I he's just... not. Because he's not. Just let him finish, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought we weren't going to do the Keith thing, but okay, all right. No, no, this is... The... I'm, I'm just listening now. He's only referencing I'm just Keith listening now. And... He's only referencing I'm just listening Keith. Now. <laughs> no, you're not, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Uh, he's just referencing Keith on how this instigated this podcast. This so. started out great. <laughs> well, you're saying live and let live. You can't give you can't give yourself that label if you're going to challenge Mormons on the gay issue. That's what I understood. Yeah, no, that's well said. That's that's so so. Keith had two two things come out of his essay that stood out to me. Uh, whether or not they were intentionally designed to to be in the same uh, episode or stand out like this next to each other, but one, like Randy said, was um, he he was really adamant about showing how you know people living the gospel didn't really bother him, and he's not the guy who's going to make a big deal out of it and and say things to their face. But then later on, Tom challenged that and said, "Hey, so what, let's say somebody is says something mean towards gays." I mean, what are you going to do about that? And then he says, oh, no, there are some things where I draw the line. And then, you know, we had some conversation about this over email, which often happens as, as we want to um, give feedback uh, behind people's backs because it's easier um, to have the conversation without them present and without people knowing about it. Well, I think uh, it's flattering to Keith that uh, this sparked a lot of conversation and dialogue. I think. <laughs> Maybe so. And to Randy, the tune of like 60. <laughs> emails well so randy you came to keith's defense and y- you basically said hey i actually uh, agree with keith like and and the way you phrased it was all the other bullshit that the church teaches doesn't really hurt people but the gays issue does or you said it in some form like that yeah and that was uh that was probably an overstatement it's i should have said most and and i still stand by most of the other bullshit uh you know home teaching and uh earning your way to heaven and and those are things you can't really challenge um you know you're talking about things that can be challenged and and when i see something on facebook from a tbm facebook friend or i'm in person with a tbm and they say something caustic about gays and the gay lifestyle and the gay agenda 
I'm not going to let that go because that's not just a Mormon issue. That's a social issue. Yeah. And, and I'm going to push back on that and I'm going to give evidence for it. And I'm going to show them that it doesn't even affect your core beliefs to allow gays to marry it. How does that even affect you? Nobody's going to force the Mormon church to marry gay people in a temple, but you know, the stuff that you're the stuff that they spew is vitriolic and, and, uh, and ignorant. And I'm just, I, I'm never going to let that kind of bullshit come across me unchallenged. Yeah. And so Bob, I, I, I think we're, where, where I, I want to see you make a distinction between somebody just using a superlative and having it become a superlative disorder. And, and I think it becomes, you know, like Randy could say, the most egregious issue to me is the injustice against gays. That's not an evidence of the superlative disorder. It's, it's only if he starts saying in another email, the most egregious issue to me is women not having the priesthood, or the most egregious issue to me is the way that uh, child abuse is ignored. When, when he starts putting too many superlative side by side that there's no room for a ranking or a hierarchy that's when it gets to the superlative disorder is that right all right i'm going to take the liberty of answering glenn's question a bit better than i did the first time around shame on me for not getting it right then but here's the deal i think of superlative disorder like i think about diabetes Okay, well, obviously not really. I don't think of it the same way. But I like the whole type 1, type 2 thing, so I'm going to borrow that bit here, and uh, I think it'll help explain it. Uh, So what Glenn was just talking about, I consider that type 1 superlative disorder. That is, the systematic use of superlatives to oversell and elevate to the highest degree the importance of whatever idea or issue you're talking about. We go right for the top shelf with our words now. We don't think about how we talk. We just say the right to the fucking just, dude, it was amazing. It was amazing. Really? You were amazed? You were amazed by a basket of chicken wings? Really? Amazing. And then at the same time, simultaneously withholding any comparison to any other issue or idea for which you have previously used similar superlatives. What are you going to do with the rest of your life now? something really happens to you what if jesus comes down from the sky and makes love to you all night long and leaves the new living lord in your belly what are you gonna call that you used amazing on a basket of chicken wings you've limited yourself verbally to a shit life so i think that the systematic and calculated use like this in my experience, um, that's something that's, that's done more, at the, uh, more collectively at the institutional level, with Mormonism being the chief example, you know, obviously, for which I'm most familiar. So that's type 1. Type 2 superlative disorder, that's what I think is found uh, a bit more predominantly out in the wild uh, among individuals all over the place. It's the same definition, basically, just minus the systematic and calculated part. It's something I think most of us are guilty of, ex-Mormons, Mormons, never-Mormons, and that is being caught up in the moment or being full of passion toward a topic or idea that then we we inadvertently and kind of sloppily overstate and oversell our position every once in a while while not really thinking about the untenable position we're technically signing up for. All these words we use, genius. That's you can, Anybody can be a genius now. It used to be you had to have a thought. No one ever had it before. Or you had to invent a number. Now it's like 
Hey, I got a cup in case we need another cup. Dude, you're a genius. And so it could just be my own frame of reference and bias on this topic, but I think Mormons are predisposed to superlative disorder type 2 a bit more than the average person since an extra layer of manipulative abuse of this tactic has been subconsciously embedded in them, or I should say us, you know, me too. Um, It's been embedded in us for so many years as common practice via the institutionalized type 1 use that's heard over the pulpit all the time. So it's not surprising in my view that the tactic lives and it lives on in the ex-Mormon world. And don't get me wrong, I actually agree with the fundamental position of most ex-Mormons on most topics post-Mormonism. But I also believe it's not an excuse for the use of the same superlative tactics. Just because you're right doesn't entitle you to lazy shortcuts for making your point. So ideally, in the world according to Bob, I'd like to see the use of superlative disorder stay on the other side, on the believing side, where it... it, is already something that's hard to get rid of in the Mormon sphere. Uh, So anyway, since I didn't set up that context as well the first time around, um, what you're about to hear for the next 30 minutes or so is a bit of a sidetrack. That is, it's all of us infants uh, ending up in this place where we argue uh, the relative importance of the gay issue specifically. But not all is lost because it's really a passionate discussion and it ultimately leads us back to how superlative disorder was used all the time in the church and how now I, myself, Bob speaking, I admittedly tend to freak out whenever I see any hint of superlative disorder used um, outside of the church. And first they want to tell you for 40 minutes how blown away you're going to be that they saw this person. Dude, you're not going to believe who I saw today. Yes, I am. Of course I am. Don't even tell me. I don't care. No, no, dude. When you find out, holy shit. When you find out who I saw, you are going to shit in your father's mouth when I tell you. I'm serious. When I tell you who I saw, you are going to kill, fuck, and eat four Mexican retarded kids when I tell you who I saw today. You're going to do that. I'm serious that you're going to do that. You're not gonna, you're just gonna rip out your asshole and throw it on the wall. It's gonna stick there and you're gonna dive through it into another dimension. And then that leads us to an honest conversation about how we're all over the place in terms of how we deal with our believing families. So let's get back to it. So I did connect the dots for Keith and Randy maybe a little bit more than I should have in the sense that um, when I see somebody on the one side wanting to be the guy who doesn't challenge things or or make people uncomfortable by the way they believe. And then as soon as somebody points out, you know, good on you, Tom, for like picking the one, I guess you were lucky that you picked the one issue that's like the exception. And then that is, that is only the exception. And the reasoning given is because it's a social thing and there's all this stuff. I just want to call bullshit because I feel like there's like so many different things that by definition, by saying I'm a cool dude and, and live and let live. Oh, but you're going to give me the one exception that riles me up. Let me tell you why. And it's like, well, then what about the nine others on the list uh, underneath it? Are they really not things, you know, women's issues? You're not going to speak up for emotional manipulation, um, uh, cover-ups of abuse, um, parents not going to weddings. Those are okay. all. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying there, but are you are you saying that they're 
and, and establishing like a specific hierarchy, I, I understand is difficult. And I talked about this in the email, but are you saying that there's no way to kind of stratify issues in terms of the ones that are immediately and very viscerally impactful versus those that really well, aren't? Are you saying there's no way to differentiate issues where, or do you just have to push back against everything or nothing? I mean, it, it no, seems no, no. like an untenable position. No, no, I, I, that's a great clarification. I, I don't think it has to be everything or nothing. What I'm trying to say is um, live and let live is, is really a, a false mantra. Like, I don't think there are any ex-Mormons who really live the way that Keith portrayed it in the first part of his essay. Sorry, Keith, but hear me out. Um, because as soon as you say live and let live, but I have an exception and it's gays, I'm rolling my eyes because... Even if gaze is your pet project that, that you want to choose as the thing that's your exception for all of a sudden not letting live and let live or, you know, living by that mantra, I feel like there are so many other issues in the church that are social in nature that really harm people that the whole thing falls apart and then, and then there's no reason. It's not that you can't prioritize and, and talk about these issues, but there's no reason to, to falsely elevate the gay issue by creating this pedestal in which it gets all the special love because of how important we should, it is and how much we should all care so much about it to the tune of discrediting everything else, which is real. And why, does, why does challenging the gay issue discredit the others? And the other thing I want to bring up is what is your definition of live and let live? Uh, is that like just, uh, just idly sitting by while cruelty happens? Uh, you know, live and let live is like, okay, you know, you live your life, I'll live my life. But as soon as people's uh, beliefs become uh, impactful in society that affect real lives, then if, you're, if that's your definition of live and let live, then fuck it. I'm not live and let live, but I'm a tolerant, you know, I'm a tolerant person but I'm, to people, but I'm not tolerant to ideas. And when I see bullshit ideas that affect real people today, that are relevant today, then I'm going to push back. Yeah, but you're, right. you're, so you're the, speaking plurally there, Randy. So, you, so you're saying that if there's any issue that r- really harms people, you're going to fight for it. You're not cherry-picking the trendy ones. No, and, and but they're all harmful. That's the point. Right. There is no they're live all and harmful, but, but what comes across my face? What comes across my feed? Uh, am I going to get something uh, about uh, all of them? Like, why is no. the gay issue coming across? No, your okay, face? all right. Oh, or, no, no, no. no. Oh, hold on, hold on. I want to. I want to. So I, I'm. I'm kind of with Randy in this one because okay, let's look at two issues: City Creek and the way that the church talks about and and the image that they give about homosexuals. There's a very two. Di- there's two very different issues, and arguably large issues but the thing is like the crime being committed against the gays is like a very it's a very immediate crime the harm is very visceral and it's and it's 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 a crime of commission but city creek is more of a crime of omission like okay well we could try and quantify all the poor people you know all all the people in abject poverty that weren't helped by all them because of all the money that was spent in city creek there's some sort of like charitable opportunity cost there but I, I think it's pretty clear that the like you can let City Creek go and still hold on to the gay issue and not be an inconsistent person. 
Yeah, yeah, you can. But but what you're doing there, Jake, is you're taking if there were a top ten list and City Creek would even make it on the list, I don't know if it would. You're, you're comparing with lists, you're, you're, you're comparing issue number one and issue number ten and saying, see, you don't you know it's 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 not a big deal that you that you don't have to you know consider all these other awful things the church is doing. Yeah, I mean, the, by degree, City Creek is not nearly as bad as ten other things that I could give you. But like by degree, caring about the gay issue in such an elevated way above everything else is is the untenable position because there's women in the church with then that affects way more people than the gays and is way more abusive in a utilitarian model. For- no, 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 it's not. Uh, women? Yes, it does. It affects no, more no, people. No. Listen to me. Women are not told that they cannot have meaningful sexual relationship for, for the rest of their life. It's not Unless even the same stratosphere <laughs> as damaging uh, as the gay issue. The gay issue is like, you must deny who you are and live the rest of your life in misery. You ask the average Mormon woman, she does not self-define as miserable. You ask the average gay uh, Mormon, and if, the, if you could get the truth out of them, if they you know, were honest, they would say, yes, <laughs> this sucks. Honest. No, but... It, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, your, your big laugh is not a good argument, Glenn, but uh, thanks for the big laugh. But like, a lot of these people have Stockholm Syndrome, and they've been told from knee-high... Uh, that being gay is an abomination. And so, of course, that's going to have a psychological impact on them. Uh, It's not even close. What women go through in the church and what gays go through in the church can't even be compared. Yeah, so can I make... uh, But but the thing is, what we're talking about is... So, so you admit that there's. So it seems like Bob, you're admitting that there's some way to kind of stratify issues that are more important and less important. But what you're getting caught up on is how exactly do you prioritize the top three or the top two? You know, how do you decide which one is the best? And it just seems like is that even a meaningful distinction? Like, what is the point? No, and and what what's really happening is 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 the question is when stuff comes up, when do you push back? Well, when stuff comes up about gay people, it's usually brought up in a very caustic. Uh, you know, if we allow this uh, society, the fabric of society will break down. I mean, it's it's, it's ridiculous, silly hyperbole, uh, slippery slope bullshit. Um, but when you know what comes across my feed or what comes across my face about women um, that I'm going to push back about, you know, if a woman is lauding her, you know, uh, being a daughter in Zion, and I go, well, actually, you know, uh, women are oppressed in the church, and is, I'm not going to do that. That's totally ineffective. So the question is. When, in what situations do you push back? And when, you know, there's a total different uh, context of, what, of, of when women in the church are brought up and when gays are. Okay, well, what, let's hear from Bob because we've been shitting on him for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I have like so much to respond to here. Uh, where to start? When you pick a favorite, it's okay if you pick it yourself and it matters to you, but it comes across sounding like you're this cool-headed person who's got it all figured out and you live and let live and then somebody pushes your button and there's there's like oh the gay issue it just it's just it feels a little disingenuous and maybe I have my own issue with that where where somebody just latches on to the hot topic of of the decade and all of a sudden it's cool to be friends with the gays is the thing that you know gets you upset, gets you out of bed to, to put a sign in your yard, whereas before you were like 
live and let live. Yeah, Bob, that's that, yeah. that was kind of my read on what you were doing with this whole superlative disorder thing is that it's 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 really a reaction against trendy kind of issues. And that's why I used that word earlier. I, I, I mean, it's, it seems like that's what you're saying right now, that if somebody is saying I'm live and let live, except on this trendy issue that's kind of trendy that everybody's you know saying is a hot topic, you're a little suspicious of that. You're, right, you're a little I, suspicious if they're really live and let live or, or what's the deal, because why aren't they concerned about these other issues as well? That if you look into them, they're probably just as horrifying as the trendy one. Yeah, exactly. And and the truth is is that it, that it is very hard to to rank them. People can do it on their own, but I I like to challenge it because I think people aren't very good at it. I'm not very good at it. And of course, it's an easy justification for me to take action on absolutely nothing because you know, I don't have the one trendy thing that I can latch onto as as the button pusher for me. Yeah, um, but, but that, here's here's the thing is like this is the issue of the day. This is. No, it's not. There's, yeah. there's so much going on me? in the world. Come on. Of course. Well, it, I, I think the danger oh that you God. have, Bob, is it sounds Bob. very dismissive. You know, like you can say you're that it's trendy so... <laughs> and you can recognize the trends, but then if you're just dismissing it, I think that's, I think that's a Randy taking it. issue. I'm, it's I'm just not hip. It's it. just a hip thing that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. If you're no, saying no, it doesn't really matter, then. It matters, but it's not the issue of the day. That is a superlative not it using It is the issue of the day in America. Like, we're on the cusp. Like, it just happened. Okay. Didn't it just happen? Yeah, yeah. The, the Tenth Utah, Circuit the, Court just overturned yes. it. Yeah. I'm that's Gay marriage is now legal in Utah. Okay, so and we're Indiana. talking. It's, 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 and Indiana. Yeah. It's something that's getting buzzed. Does that makes it the most relevant, most important thing no, that I should channel fact, energy toward? The fact that it's getting buzzed isn't relevant. The fact that it's the right thing to do and to fight for right now when the field is just like so white and all ready to harvest. How's that? But it was the right thing to do 50 fucking years ago when nobody was doing anything about it. But now Now it's so convenient. No, now we're on the cusp of the club. We're now we're on the cusp of real change. So let's all jump on now that it's easy. No, 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 no. I think it's just a bandwagon thing. It doesn't really matter. Okay, I think I think that there is a way. There, I think there is a way to meld these two. Okay, because there, I, I I do agree with Bob that there is some bandwagoning. I didn't give a shit about gay people ten years ago, probably because you know I was like fifteen. Nobody cares about anything. But I, it was also because it wasn't it wasn't nearly as relevant. Fourteen years um, ago, I knocked on doors to get people to ban gay marriage right. before it was even legal. Well, then you have a personal connection and feel bad about it. And it's cool. If no, you no, want to no, 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 no. Okay, Bob, Bob, uh, I'm not. Okay, done. go. I'm not. go. So th- there is. I think that there absolutely is some some sense of bandwagoning. The fact that this is it's, uh, uh, a point of discourse in our society is definitely bringing it to the forefront, and that doesn't make it objectively more important. Just in terms of the amount of injustice being, in, you know, being executed over people, I agree with that. But the fact of the matter is, I think Randy has a point where, because it's because it's in the forefront at this point, you actually get a lot more sociological bang for your buck by bringing it up and pushing it because it is in the forefront. It is part of the of the landscape of our society right now, and it is something where you can push back, and it really is going to go somewhere. In a way that pushing back on thing, uh, other things that really aren't in the, the so in in the cultural forefront wouldn't, it, and so I think that in that way, yes, you can rank it first, not because it's the most injustice being you know being enforced over people, but because you're going to be able to make a bigger difference by focusing on that because it's relevant now. 
Right. Okay, so I fully recognize that that lengthy explanation shouldn't be required for somebody to be passionate about the gay issue, but that's kind of what I want to have people imply when they talk about why something is important to them. But when they say just out of the blue, this is the issue of the day, you know... Well, it, Bob, me, what comes, I, I, that's what well, that means, though. Bob, the what's the day? What no, comes what across my face? It, what comes across my face? Issues of the day. The first thing that I think of when somebody says something is the most important or the issue of the day is why everything else isn't. And what I'm saying is you can talk about why gay the gay issue is super, super important without forcing me to all of a sudden have that conversation with myself about why you're discrediting everything else. You don't have to oversell it to sell it. That's why all does it discredit everything else? Right. What, what is the issue of the day? What does that mean to you, Bob? That means that I should drop everything else I'm doing toward any other issue. I and don't. Yeah. See, that, energy to- that's that all or nothing approach. You're, you're the hyperbole guy. The yeah, you're the superlative one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so time for a quick interjection. Yes, I am the superlative one. So when someone tries to rile me up like this by using a superlative, such as calling one specific issue the issue of the day, what tends to happen is I respond in kind literalistically. And I think I'm not alone. I think this is the cost of their using the superlative to oversell me and others their idea. See, as a TBM, I used to respond like this naturally, and I typically had the feeling of wanting to drop everything else to go out and and basically do the things which the Lord had commanded after whatever conference talk I just heard telling me whatever topic is the most important thing. Now I respond to superlative tactics ironically to point out the unintended consequences of how people like my old self, they still exist, and they take this superlative shit literally and seriously. So, if you passionately overcook your point with a superlative, you shouldn't be surprised when the receiver interprets it in kind. That, in fact, is the whole point. Again, that's the cost of using a superlative. So, I guess my advice is, don't do it. Don't use a superlative unless you really want to own what you're saying literally, because you can't have it both ways. You don't get to overcook your delivery with this passionate, you know, feeling and, and strong stance, but then exonerate yourself when the other side overcooks how they read what you just delivered. But, but I feel like you're not going the next step. Okay, so when they say the issue of the day, that means that it's the one that people are focusing on more than the others. Yes, sure, that's fine. But I think the subtext of that is, I mean, you're, you're seeing it as, it seems like you're, you're interpreting the subtext of that as being, this is the issue of the day, so all the other issues are unimportant. But I interpret it as, this is the issue that is, that is in the forefront culture right now, it's something that people are talking and thinking about, and it's become acceptable to really critically evaluate this now. And so that's what, it's the issue of the day because it's relevant now just because it's, it's part of the cultural landscape now. And that doesn't make it objectively more important than the other ones, but it does make it more worth your effort well, even, because even, people are already thinking about it. But, people are already talking about it. But Jake, even if it does make it more important than the other ones, it doesn't negate the other ones. Yes. Like, it, it, yes. Might be, it might be more important by a factor of 99th. 
or, you know, over 100. Yeah, I mean, like a very small, minuscule amount. But I think what Bob's doing is he's saying, since this is the pet issue that people are being uh, trendy about, that they're not really focusing. And I think if you go back to what he was talking about originally with Keith, what he, was, he did say, that's the one issue that I will call somebody on. If, if they're talking about other things, I'll just let it go because I'm just like that and I'm not going to ruffle feathers. But if it gets on this one issue, I'm going for it. And I think Bob's yeah, going, it's... why? Why are you picking this one issue? What about the other ones that do harm? Why don't you go for that one too? But it's all about how it's delivered. Like, okay, so there's all kinds of like fucked up shit about the church. We all agree on that. Um, but how is this stuff coming up on our Facebook feed and, and coming out of the mouths of our loved ones and friends? When, when it comes to the gay issue, they are just extreme about what they're saying. And, uh, you know, when, when it comes to women, they're not. And when it comes to mine, I mean, how, how are you going to attack um, the, you know, controlling of the mind to, to a true believer? You're not going to get that opportunity without coming off like a total asshole. But when it comes to the gay issue, they say stupid things that can be refuted with, with scientific evidence and it's like, how do you not push back on that? But, but Randy, that's, that's fantastic. That's like, of course, if it's an easy win, if it's low-hanging fruit, if, if you're doing good for society, I'm not telling you to stop it just because I don't think you should. That, I mean, I don't have anything against all this good stuff that you're doing. Um, it's when it's positioned such that, let's say I chose and I haven't, but let's just elevate me for a minute. Let's say I chose the women's issue and I was going around saying it's the issue of the day and the most important. It's not about issue of the day. It's like when stuff comes in front of you, what do you do? So give me an example of how women are treating the church that's on a Facebook feed that I should react to so I don't like put it, you know, discredit it and put it on the back burner. Are you kidding me? You don't think this Kate Kelly thing has filled up all our feeds with bullshit? Give me an example. I'm not, I'm not saying our, I'm not asking for a reaction. Give me an example. <sighs> and I will react to it if it's, you know, as bad as the stuff I see on gay people. So, so a post that says women are equal in the sight of the Lord and they have their place in the home and they should remember that and um, keep to the God-given role that was was provided to them and shut the fuck up about it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You'll, you had me until shut the fuck up. Okay, yeah, but you see something like that and you're like, snoozer. No, What's but it, uh, if I saw something like that, I would react to it, um, and I would, I would uh, talk about how not every woman fits a mold of uh, a nurturer, and does that? And, and I would put it in a way where it's not like in a direct attack, but it would be like a kind of a passive aggressive challenge. Now, hang right. on so a you, second. I can, you wouldn't live, I can, let live. I can read one to you that I'm looking at on Facebook if you really want to go down to that level of detail. But but I, I actually do want to hear from well, Tom because yeah, I haven't. I want to hear from Tom from too. <laughs> Tom. Yeah, Tom's here. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Like, there's been a lot of room. You know whose voice I miss? Oh, Jesus. That Tom guy. I saw that coming. Somebody's been editing too much. (laughs) (laughs) No, all I'm saying, Randy, is when you said that you would react to it. See, that's the thing is, when Bob's, what's Bob's saying, I totally understand. I think it's just about perception, though. I, I, so while I agree with you, what you guys are saying is that you know less important or discrediting is probably not the the appropriate phrases to be used. 
I do think that uh, as perception holds, that's that's what it seems like it's happening. So, like, if there's an exception about the gay issue that's being brought up, the perception is that all the other issues drop down. Yes. So I, I totally no. get that. I totally get the perception of it <clears throat> just on the surface level. Now, what you guys are saying is that it, that's not reality. That's just what it feels like or what it looks like. So I I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty much stuck in the middle. I think I totally get what Bob's saying, but I totally get what you guys are saying, too. It's just I feel like we're just kind of missing each other a little bit. Yeah, but but the example Bob gave was not nearly as uh, caustic and vitriolic as the stuff you see about gay marriage. Uh, so you know, it's not going to elicit the same kind of uh, response from me. Right, but if but if you re- but you just said that you would react even to the women issue or whatever. Yeah, of course so, I would. So if you so if you react to that, are, what's an exe- What's something that you would not react to? Where maybe Bob would say, "Hey, that is an important issue as well." Um, I'm just so grateful that uh, the Lord has blessed us uh, with uh, these wonderful children and. And and watches over us, uh, and has blessed us so much in our lives. What am I going to say to that? I'm not. Gonna, of course, I think that's bullshit. But, that's but I'm not, not going to. I'm not going to attack core. And that's beliefs. live and let live. Come on, that's just like that's uh, okay. So to me, Bob, your definition of live and let live, I don't ascribe to, because I'm not going to stand idly by and watch cruelty, uh, you know, get. Um, Executed, so, right? Because there's lines in the sand. That there's you draw, lines in like, the sand, yeah, and right. I, I draw those lines at cruelty. My definition of live and let live is I'm not because when we all first left the church, or at least when I first left the church, I'm just going to speak from my own experience. I wanted to pop every believer's bubble. I wanted to validate my own non-belief by making every believer I knew see why I'm not a believer. So right. to me, live and let live is is you're not actively going out. And trying to be a bubble popper, um, but if I see stuff, and this this doesn't even just apply to Mormons. Like I have evangelical Christian Facebook friends when they post anti-gay bullshit, I challenge them on that. And uh, so it, you know, issues that matter for the day, I'm not going to let go. When I see cruelty happening, I'm not going to let it go. But I'm not going to actively go out and pop people's belief bubbles. That's my definition of live and let live. Yeah, I totally agree okay. with that. And, and I, I agree with that, too. I, I think that's what, what the, the question – and one thing that Bob brought up in the email chain that I think might shed light in how kind of we're missing each other, like Tom said, is um, – so let, let's imagine that we're all living in 1965 and – or you know, in the 60s, in the, in, in the era of the civil rights movement and that type of thing. It, at that point – the church was even worse about the way, I mean, the way that they talked about gays was even more vitriolic. It was like this unapologetic bullshit that they were just spewing out about gay people whenever they talked about them, which wasn't that often. But the thing is in that, in that moment, the gay issue wasn't any less harmful or painful, harmful or painful. But I would argue that the race issue would be much more important, be important because it's culturally relevant at that time. And it's, it's going to be a better, your opportunity cost is going to be lower if you go for the race issue, because that's what people are talking about. That's something that 
is kind of acceptable and is in the cultural landscape of what people are, are looking at. The gay issue really hadn't hit the forefront at that point. So, but is making that distinction in your mind, Bob, is that the, is that kind of the, the trendy bullshitty way of going about things? Potentially, like if you were in this, in this hypothetical, I'm glad you brought it up. If you were like, I draw the line at blacks, period. And my next question would be, what about gays? If it was in your awareness enough to... Yeah, exactly, right. 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 If, right. if I had the, yeah, if I was lucky enough to have that zinger um, waiting in the wind. But so what, what about gays if blacks is the number? Is it then not where you draw the line anymore? Or then do you do what Randy does and come back and be like, well, yeah, okay, when I say gays, I actually mean cruelty, which means this, which is that, which is... And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, there's 17 different things under this new expanded definition to where I'm like, okay, so nobody's living and let living anymore. So maybe it just goes back to like, I am throwing Keith under the bus a little bit because I feel like as soon as you make an exception that's as broad as the gays, and then when you have to explain it, it encompasses like any sort of you know, I'll use Randy's term, cruelty. To me, that's like practically half of what the church does. So you can't just be like, I am the cool, like, live and let live dude, except for really? this one thing, which is really a placeholder for everything. Do you think the majority of the Mormon church would feel like they're under a cruel regime? <laughs> you know, this stuff works for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, I, I would, I would, I would, I will subject to you or uh, submit to you that Keith does not subscribe to your definition of live and let live because that definition of live and let live, uh, I don't, I want anything to do with. Well, I, I, I well, don't even, under, I still don't understand what you mean by live and let live. Like, what does live and let live mean? Never in challenge mind? anything ever. Is that is that what it means? Never, yeah, well, like, don't, don't take issue with how other people live their lives. Don't, don't try to change people or, yeah, you know, put yourself in their face. Yeah, see, this is, this is where I'm, I'm kind of breaking down a little bit. I think Keith would probably say he does subscribe to the live and let live, but it's Not like Bob's 90, definition. but it's like 90 to 95% because they're like what Randy's saying. There are a few <laughs> lines in the sand and I know you hate the exceptions, <laughs> Because you know, it's, it's like, not 90%, it's like 50%. Because when you're responding maybe, about... Maybe maybe it is more like 50%. Only Keith can speak to that. But I'm like even for myself, there is just maybe a handful of things. I guess I'm more subscribed to what Randy's saying. there. When it comes to where actual cruelty is happening is where I finally say, all right, all right, all right. You know, my father-in-law, you, you can't do that because this has direct implications that, that will harm people. You cannot do this. So that's where... It's it's almost like you can't be so black and white about it. You have to have room for exceptions in a situation like this. You do, but know. then don't claim you're a pacifist, except for Who when you're an activist. what you claim you are. You are what you are. So, Bob, do you have a do you have a list of all of the harmful things in the church that we should be aware of in addition to the trendy things? No, no, because nobody's provided it to me. They only tell me what's at the top of their list and claim that it's the list for everyone. And I'm just asking. <laughs> you know what? Here's here's uh, you know. Remember we talked about the the rules and principles. I feel like Tom, Bob, you're trying to you're, you're trying to hammer out and figure out what everybody's rules are. But I still don't. I don't think that there's like any clear principle behind all of these. Like what what is the principle behind? I mean, I guess the principle behind live and let live is never say anything to anybody. So, Bob, uh, do you have any lines or no lines? What are lines? 
Oh, oh, for me? Really? Have you been listening? <laughs> well, yeah, so Bob, what, what would be something where you would, where you would either resign or force uh, the no. church to an excommunication on you like that? No, is there anything that you would stay or anything that you would not stay silent on if a true believing Mormon said something to you or posted something on Facebook that came across your face? Is there anything that you would not stay silent on? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's hundreds of things. And but the difference is is that I I wouldn't unequivocally state one of them, you know, so boldly without any context or I, I take everything on a case by case basis. Like I don't need to proclaim the chosen issue or make a statement um, about where my exceptions are. And, and that's maybe part of the thing. Back to somebody made the point that it's maybe tone or perception. I think this is what Tom was saying. And for me, like I just deal with things as they come. Sometimes most of the time I, I, I don't do anything. Sometimes things will, will, get me based on on the context who's involved um how severe it is who else is watching you know i factor in lots of things it's like a really really complicated formula that I, even i don't understand but so you I'm not so gonna, you, you would say that you're not by your own definition you're not a live and let live kind of ex-mormon no no i don't think i am i think i'm i'm a a, a scared ex-mormon because part of um <laughs> what ironically scares me more or, or hurts me more than than what uh, Keith brought up. So, so Keith was interesting because he brought up this example with his cousin and how all of a sudden, for the first time, he noticed how he was being slotted into a different column and he was being treated differently. And, and you know, Mormons now are going to see me differently forever and ever and it's going to hurt. Our relationship is forever changed. I think of it the exact opposite. All of a sudden, I have to be I have to try so hard not to do the same thing to all of my Mormon friends and family and throw them all under the bus. Like, I feel so bad all the time because I'm concerned that they're thinking that I think that they're idiots. And then when I kind of do in certain contexts, then my concern comes to fruition and I feel really bad about it. So to me, it's not so much that they're doing that to me. It's that I am automatically doing it to them because my belief system holds their belief system in such, you know, disregard that I—I I don't know. That's the part that hurts me is that I'm hurting other people, not that they're hurting me. Because well, see, that's they, that's that's interesting because you're self-aware enough of your own judgment towards them. That's well. Is that the thing that hurts you the most, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Okay. <laughs> but the thing is, no, Jake. In, when you talked about that, Bob, I mean, what you said is when people pick their their pet issues and say which one is the most important. But the thing is, nobody in any of these conversations has ever said the word most ever. Like Randy didn't say it in the email chain. Keith didn't say it. All they all they said is that it was an issue worthy of speaking up about. So, I yeah. mean, so you're holding everyone to this rhetorical. I mean, you're you're inflating everybody's rhetoric to this most thing, and and so now we're kind of now we're putting just, it together with the superlative thing. But you're but but aren't we just debating semantics? Let me re, let me quote what Randy said. Why the problem with him drawing the line at the gay issue? All the other bullshit the church believes doesn't really matter or affect real lives. Is yeah, that not? Well, I, did I? Did I, I think I said earlier that uh, that was an overstatement and i should okay. have said fair enough fair enough i okay. should have said most of the stuff most of the stuff 
Uh, and we're talking about like uh, tithing, and which is, by the way, how how good politicians do things. You say nothing by saying something sort of strong, but not too strong by saying, "Yeah, well, this you, is one of the most important issues of our day." You, like, didn't right. you also say, "I regretted pushing send" because I knew you would point out something? Yeah, yeah, that was when City Creek was one of my examples, and I'm like, "Oh, that yeah. was stupid. that's yeah. true." I got caught up in the moment, and I said "all," and that was stupidly. Um, Inaccurate. Yeah, this is this is but, feeling but more and more stylistic. Like, that's just uh, like some people stylistically uh, go to the extremes. Like when you were talking uh, a month or so ago about the swearing, how you really want to emphasize a point. Some people throw in a good fuck. Well, sometimes you you throw in a superlative, and you go, "That's the most," or you you know, or, or you dismiss everything else. And when it comes down to it, you don't really feel like that. It's just right. that's rhetorically your device to emphasize the point. And Randy does that a lot. So do you? So Glenn, <laughs> thanks, Glenn. Glenn. Well, you do. Yep. I, but but I but I understand you're not say, you're not that black and white on things. It's just that you're very passionate about issues I'm, that you present, and that's well, part of we your all style. do that. We yeah, all do that. I'm emotional. Not just, well, not yeah. just but we were talking about Randy's example in the email. Is that okay? All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, I, feel yeah, like, yeah. I get tired. I get tired of you picking on Randy all the time. Yeah. Well, the truth is, I'm. There's two things working, and and listeners have picked up on it. Um, number one, I'm very emotional. And number two, I really like to win arguments. <laughs> and Sounds like all of humanity, practically. <laughs> yeah, but I, company. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm to the nth degree, and uh, and I, I recognize that. And sometimes I say things that uh, I completely regret and and didn't mean. But I think that's that's true for most people. But to me, it seems to happen a lot more than the rest of us. Right. I was going to say this. This is almost like borderline getting to one of those those stupid arguments you have with your spouse where it's like, you always, you never. And it's like, right. oh, right. we're having one right. of those. Okay. Yeah. Let's just yeah. talk tomorrow. <laughs> as soon as you get the, you always, or the, you never, you know, that, uh, you're not really having a real conversation. It's, 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 like, it, it's the same as when someone brings in, you're acting just like Adolf Hitler would, you know, using, right. using an extreme analogy. Or Dan Weatherspoon. Right. <laughs> right. <He's>, uh, <laughs> Tying himself up in what knots. That was a great line, too. <laughs> was that Glenn's? Yeah, it was. Oh. So, but Glenn, I wanted to go back to something you said. When you said people do this all the time and, and we should just realize it's a rhetorical device or a... Or a, a well, you, you mean, said I, earlier it's, it's semantics. We're getting into semantics. So if you're getting into semantics, you've got to get into that rhetorical device part of semantics as well. Yeah, when I, and, and this is where Randy takes issue with me saying... Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of a cheap tactic to build up, you know, extra emotion points or, or empathy points. Um, and the reason I, I refer to it that way is because I I saw it all the time in the church, and that's now on the outside. That's the way I view it. And maybe that's too cynical. Or should I give a free pass to all the GAs who who use all of their most phrases and 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 just realize that that's just something that that, hey, we all do it and it's no big deal? Or should I no. hold their feet to the fire and be like, you don't really mean that this is the most important thing? Come on. Now, Bob, You're just saying that because this is the, your conference talk and you want people to feel the burning bosom right. thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an effective rhetorical device. And they right. use it all the time. Right. But, but I, I don't think they even would... I, I, like when, when I was going through and I was looking for examples... It's almost like they're too careful with them because they kind of couch them in different contexts and they say one of the most important things and then they list off six or seven of the most important things. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's not quite as black and white as I thought but, it would be when I went in looking for them. 
when you when you hear the phrase obedience is the first law of heaven doesn't it just beg the question like what's the second and the third law (laughs) (laughs) well i I thought that the first the first law was love love thy neighbor oh no no love, love love your god right no, that's the first commandment. We're talking about the first law that governs the physics of the universe. It's still obedience. <laughs> obedience governs the physics, the very physics. Which makes no sense. It's like, <laughs> which the makes first law of heaven. Like, no, like, yeah. we need to but talk then, with Rock then, again. Then we talk like about the elements oh, will obey you, Randy, remember? Yeah, I, oh, right. I, I try not to, but yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the, but then you talk about commandments. The first commandment is to love your God. Second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then I don't know what the third and the rest of them are. I think some of it's not to eat shellfish. Not but, to eat uh, shellfish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, that, that is like, that, 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 that begs an interesting question. Uh, if the first law that governs the universe is obedience, what's the second law of ther- thermodynamics? <laughs> yeah, crickets. I don't know. It's never been taught because I think that's that rhetorical device that I guess they're uh, wait. Can... Baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. No, but then the then oh, that's the third. One. That's, a, that's a principle. That's the third one. Oh, it's a principle, not even a commandment. Principles Princi- and ordinance. See, and this is where they get you. Like they say, the most <laughs> important principle, the most important duty, the most important action, law, the most, most important, important law, law, most important words. Yeah, here, let me, let me give you a sampling of, of quotes from just searching LDS.org. Gospel teaching, our most important calling. Our greatest and most important duty is to preach the gospel. The home is the most important place for gospel learning. I realized that day that my marriage in the temple was my most important accomplishment. See, but you're talking uh, fa- about accomplishments, you're talking about places, you're talking about, like, they're not all equal concepts. Fatherhood is leadership, the most important kind of leadership. The most important thing we can do is work to have a happy and righteous family. Really? I thought our most important calling was gospel teaching. That's how you Wait have a happy a and well, family. <laughs> well, I don't know, but all of these are contextually bound. Yeah, and that's, what our, that's what my point is, is when we say, like, oh, the most important, the issue of our day is, you know, gays and the treatment of gays. It's contextually bound. It's because it's relevant. It's current. Being, it's something I mom. am bandwagoning. Yeah. Being a mom is the most important job in the world. I don't see anything that says what you do if you're a man. <laughs> we, I guess just being a man means that you never get to exactly. have the most important job that, in the world. This is that's the pandering message. The pandering yeah, message yeah. is women, you're up above anybody. Men can't even come from freaking here's close. Another, don't ask about yeah. the priesthood. <laughs> here's, a, here's, a, here's a great one. This one's really good to me anyway. Taking the sacrament is the most important thing we do all week. <laughs> really? <laughs> like... What if you uh, got married in the temple that week? Or you preached the gospel that week. Because yeah. they've already said that that's the most important Or action. you worked on your family being happy that week. Yeah, I but don't know. W- w- what you're doing is trying to put me in the bizarro world of that. And no, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm not buying that. No, okay, okay. I'll give you that. I'm, you're not in this level of crazy. Um, you're on a smaller scale of crazy, Randy. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. That's all I ever wanted to hear from you, Bob. Okay. <laughs> I can give you that. Um, the most important knowledge in the world is gospel knowledge. The most important thing for everyone to know is that we are all children of a loving Heavenly Father. Oh, here's a, here's a, here's a good one. Our most distinguishing feature. How do you think they're going to answer this? What do you think the most distinguishing feature of Mormonism is? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, living uh, prophets? It's close. The priesthood? Yeah, closer. Yeah, yeah. Is, is divine authority by, by direct authority. revelation. Yeah. 
That divine authority, of course, is the holy priesthood. How funny is it? How funny is it? You could sub that out for any number of things. That's funny. <laughs> That's why it's such bullshit when you I say know. something like most. It is. And we don't say, not, not once have I ever said the most important issue is the gay issue. I just said when stuff comes, when that comes across me, especially in the form that it comes, I challenge it. I don't say this is the most important principle of ex-Mormonism. But it's an but it's it but it's an important issue for the time right now because it's absolutely because we're trying to get gay marriage legal in all fifty states. Yeah, yeah, and I support that. Don't I I don't want the inverse to happen and like I'm going to get all sorts of comments that are like, you know, you're such an idiot for not loving gays because that's that's yeah because bob happening. bob hates rainbows and everything else he, he, he just <laughs> any issue like, that is the issue of our day i want the opposite even if it's good for society damn all the gays because it's too easy <laughs> yeah why isn't anybody lobbying for uh legalizing marijuana oh i'm i live in colorado now yeah it's legal baby oh yeah i think there's a lot of people that are hoping that that's the next issue on the docket yeah, but it doesn't involve cruelty, I, other than the war on drugs in the Mexican drug cartel. Yeah. Um, but, other than uh, that. Yeah, other, that other, than that. <laughs> other, other than the thousands of people Would that you, have been traumatized. Uh, so like number six and, or seven on the list, you know, I'm, I'm oh, pretty no, sure dude. the no, sacrament is above it. I think number two is legalizing marijuana. I think that'll help fix our budget problem, but... Yeah, and I'll and I'll concede the point. I think uh, Jake tried to squeak it in somewhere, and I'll just make it more squeak it more mm. vocal. Uh, I like lists, or at least I, I like um, <laughs> I, I like looking at how things are portrayed as lists, even when they're not, because that's how it sounds to me. And I and I'm you know maybe people didn't think what the second law of heaven was, and 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 I'm the only one who that's the first thing when somebody tells me that the first law of heaven is this. But that's just, yeah, my thing, I guess. Logically minded. But that, and that's kind of how you were as a liberal Mormon, too, when you were, uh, I, and I don't remember you from then. I just uh, remember you talking about it. But like when you'd get on the, the blogs and you'd try to reason things out, it was a lot of hierarchy and lists and this kind of very logical <laughs> approach to explaining why things were the way they were. And that was okay. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's me to a T. And, and peop, people would, have varying reactions to it because as a liberal Mormon and what part of what kicked me out or kicked, you know, I kicked myself out was when you start making lists too much or, or logically structurally, you know, contextualizing things relative to each other, it just calls out all the holes, all the more, all the more. And then people just get uncomfortable and be like, on this level, on this thing, you're, you're getting too granular or no, I wouldn't compare that to that or just leave this one alone. I'm like, Oh, okay. Sorry. And right. and uh, it didn't make sense to me. So, yeah, and I, I, that's kind of what I was I was getting at the very first part of this conversation, where the moment that you step outside of like the bounds, you kind of have to start doing that. You kind of have to start putting things into a hierarchy of the important, the, the real important stuff is here. And I won't, I won't go against that, but what can I put in this? Not that important right. category so I can live my on my own. Because, on my own. because right. as part of your exit, or maybe it's, it's while you're still on the other side, the believing side, but you want to be, you know, you, you know, own your own relationship to the church and feel like mm-hmm. you're using your agency more effectively or something. I don't know what to call it, but 
I was trying to reconstruct my morality and ethics from the perspective that the church wanted me to. But then when every church talk on any topic just tells me how it's super, super important relative to nothing else, because I'm only talking about one thing, then I'm like, well, then I I can't just have a list of super, super important things, guys. Like, how does the puzzle come together? And then I try to, like, fill in the gaps myself. And then that's when people are like, whoa, you are, you know you know playing with fire there or whatever and and then i realized that like their morality system was no good because it actually is meaningless if i can't rank it relative to itself or uh, to the different pieces of it does that make sense i totally get that and i i I remember when i was first going through my crisis faith this is so embarrassing when i when i would have arguments with ex-mormons over how their issue wasn't the same as my issue like how how can you say that mountain meadows massacre is not as important of an issue as polygamy because polygamy is bullshit that's not as big a deal as mountain but that's that's not up there with murder and then we'd have this like <laughs> we'd, we'd have this cute little argument over well my issue is more important than yours oh yeah well mine's more important than yours Blech. yeah but i'm not you know to, to, i'm still going to go back to my definition of live and let live i'm not going to attack people's belief in the book of mormon even though that's an area where it's ripe for attack i'm not going to attack people's belief in the book of abraham uh, core tenets of the church i'm not going to attack people's belief that joseph smith was a prophet of god i'm not even going to attack their belief that brigham young was a prophet of god and uh and that's <laughs> said, a hard you said that's young like one. i say randy but if <laughs> yeah like he said Zion. Young. but randy like, if I, those are if those are pillars that support these other more harmful beliefs why do you let them stand mm, because they don't make the logical connections to where they're harmful and 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 i'm just not going to be the guy that's like this is this is a phase like all almost all ex-mormons go through you're angry you want to be validated and you want to like have other people see the fraud that it is so i'm i'm not looking to 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 expose people to the fraud i'm not looking to pop bubbles but i if they bring up social issues that are relevant and that are wrong like verifiably wrong i'm going to challenge it and that's my definition of being a live and let live mormon and i have not lost many friends or relatives with this or approach fought or fights right so so well, okay. I've, I've had i've had discussions with my dad where i said i believe your your position on homosexuality is repugnant and i was very emotional um and he's he, you know he's got kind of like this whole truce we don't talk about um gospel things because we don't want to get into a fight but when i asked him the question and i you know my fault was starting it i said it was on my back porch I'm like dad if i had been gay and I told you at age 16, what would your advice have been to me? Would it have been to be celibate the rest of my life? And he said, yep. And I'm like, and you guys know my dad uh, from the podcast. He's a sweet guy. But this church has completely um, uh, warped his, his position on, on the gay issue. And I said, Dad, I find that morally repugnant. And I got very emotional. We ended up steering the discussion a different way. But, like, I cannot let that go. Yeah. No, I get that. And, I, and you know, for me, um, the gay issue, it, it's a big issue. But if, if I were to pick favorites, I, I would probably go with the uh, women's issues over gays. Just because, to me, it's like... 5,000 people with their legs cut off or 5 million people with their 
with their hands cut with their hands cut off. It's like, well, the hands cut off wasn't as bad, but it's affecting way more people than the people with their legs cut off. Or I don't know. I'm trying to make a weird analogy, but yeah, again, this is all subjective. It's yeah, right. It is. It is. It's like there's no right answer. It's just yeah, yeah, but it's so much harder to attack the female position when. When they do a Pew study and they find out that like ninety percent because they're all body into it Mormons, yeah, they're all like, how do you tell someone they are brainwashed? It's it's, it's so much more tricky. It's not that it's not that I feel it's not that I feel less about it. It's that it's a harder thing to approach. But the gay issue is so black and white, obvious, easy to approach. Have you ever been in the situation well, where instead of like reaching out to pop somebody's bubble, you're more kind of like their dad in the swimming pool and they're the little kid that's swimming towards you, but you keep stepping back and back and back a little bit further. So they keep coming closer to you and then you just lead them right into a needle that pops their bubble. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not that clever. Okay. <laughs> Were you going to say something, Jake? Well, I was, I was going to say that, that that's why, I mean, it's basically like the, 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 the hot topics of the day are the ones that really shine a light on the aspects of Mormonism that are the, the, on, on certain aspects of Mormonism that are, is, you know, especially bullshitty. And you have to use that light. You, you you have to, you start, have to start somewhere when you're having these conversations because it's an entire worldview and it's an, it's, it's an all encompassing mentality. And so you have to start somewhere to have these conversations. And so why not start? Why is it not the best place to start on the hot topics of the day? Because those are the, that's, those are the ones that are most illuminated and where it's easiest to, open up that conversation, start it and, and maybe have an impact where, you know, the, the, the specific ways in which the Mormon mentality is, is hurting women. Isn't really illuminated the same way as which in, in which it's, it's hurting gay people. Did that make sense? I don't, I don't know. If they, yeah, it made sense. You're, you're talking about, uh, finding a, a crack <laughs> right? to, 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 to kind of open up. Um, right. And, maybe- and, and- Part of the, I guess the thing, and maybe I just don't know enough people who are so, who treat gays so poorly. Because whenever I see something relative to the gay issue, it's usually like, I don't want to use the word benign because it is it is hurtful and it's it's a it's it's not a nice thing that they might say in this nuanced, indirect, you know, to toward no one specifically kind of way because they don't know any gays or they just say it very. I don't know, like, just like everything Mormon, nobody goes to a gay person and kicks them in the nuts. They're just going to say something that's, like, super, like, we, we uphold that the family is the only unit of God, that, that blah, 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 blah. And, and it, it's, it's not like Joe, my gay friend, was told. Uh, it's just... Right. I, I don't well, put people the thing- in their place when they do the, the, the bandwagon, Mormon-style bandwagon, where they're just, like, latching on to the general quote of the day which is like we're cool with gays but not really but we are but it, maybe randy's feet is full of people who are like punching gays in the face all the time and that, that is <laughs> no, no, well even the soft rhetoric i get is is like we you know we need to hold firm uh to the family unit and if we don't um then you know we will suffer the wrath of god and the fabric of society will be threatened 
And it's, it's more along those lines, like what are, what are the consequences if we don't stand up for this? And that, that to me is not benign at all. Yeah, I don't think it's benign, but I, I don't know that it's actionable either from, for me. For me, it is. Because <laughs> I want to say, the first thing I'll say is, please give me um, a plausible um, explanation of how allowing gay committed couples to marry is going to tear apart the fabric of society. Because you can't just make broad statements like that without backing right. it up. So please back it up. Can I tell you, you what lost, my and, and it, starts, right? it's, it's it starts with that. It doesn't start with me going, you're a fucking homophobe. You know, <laughs> can I tell you what my dad said when I asked him that? Yeah. <laughs> what? He yeah. said, I don't want my grandkids to be harvested for homosexual couples to raise. How do I let that go? How do I let uh, that go? Right. I can't let that go. Yeah. Right. Well, so I just laughed mm. and, and I watched my dad's like very conservative wife look at him like, are you crazy? You know, so even she, he's like, well, you never know. That's, that's what could happen. Know. You know, the government uh-huh. could, do, and I'm like, dad, come on. And then, and then he tried to pretend that he was just joking with me. What? I can't joke around like Glenn can. Like, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, my, I love the turning it into a joke yeah. tactic when it's like really the wrong thing to say. Oh, that was just a joke. <laughs> it's, just racism is okay when it's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had, uh, I had John DeLynn as my guest to watch a USC game. Um, and I'm only bringing up his name because he's the reason why this was brought up. And uh, while we're eating the the tailgating before the game, uh, John DeLynn mentioned that he's having a gay general conference. This was a few years back. And my stepmom, who is a a very Glenn Beck, Fox News conservative, um, not so strong on the Mormon church, but she really believes in the Jesus. And... Uh, she told me and John <laughs> that the only reason that she thinks guys go gay is because they had no luck with the ladies. And I lost my shit. <laughs> and this is, this is to my dad's wife. I lost my shit before a USC game, which I should be very happy. And, <laughs> and, and she, this must have been a couple years ago. <laughs> it was a few years ago. And, uh, and, she, and then she brought it up again. And then I was like, I have these two friends that are gorgeous gay, a gorgeous gay couple, Mike, uh, Michael Ferguson and, and Seth, uh, what's Seth's last name? Um, Michael Ferguson? and Seth. No, stupid. Job. It could be yeah. Ferguson now. It could be Ferguson. They yeah. live in Utah and, uh, and I, and they're just beautiful. And I, I showed her a picture of them kissing <laughs> just to say, fuck you. They could have got any girl they wanted and they're gay and you are stupid. <laughs> yeah but i didn't say that. that i didn't right. say that but i just showed that picture and that was kind of my silent way of of just putting it in her place if, wait, if wait, dad, so so you just you, you didn't say anything you just pulled out a picture of two gay guys kissing <laughs> i said shoved hey, in her face no and no, then no put it away so how, how it happened <laughs> was trying. hey dad i got i got these friends that are gay and uh and they're they're just the awesomest couple there's they're so sweet. Like one of them is studying for his PhD in, in neuropsychology or, or neuroscience, and the other one is an entrepreneur with the tea company. And uh, you want to see a picture? He's like, okay. <laughs> and then, bam! So, did you pull up Facebook or are these pictures Facebook. that you have on your phone? Uh, well, I have pictures on my phone, but I wouldn't show them to her. You wouldn't uh, show her those pictures. 
No, because okay. the, there's pictures of them making out and flipping her off at the same time. <laughs> oh, and uh, when I was drunk, I thought that was a good idea. But uh, Oh, you had them take those pictures specifically for her? Yeah, because we were at a party. <laughs> <laughs> See, I guess in, in my personality is such that like, if, if this situation, if this scenario happened with me and my dad, which I, I, I don't want to throw him under the bus, I don't think he would you know, do this sort of thing, but he might actually, cause he's from that same generation. And I don't think he's like too, you know, keen on the, the gay issue anyway, but if it were to happen, I'd probably react to it the same way as I would react to if he said something about women or, um, which is more likely to happen from him. Or if he were to, um, make a bad joke, that's borderline racist. I mean, to me, like, Maybe this is kind of ironic because now I'm kind of putting myself on the other side of the of the spectrum. But I, in these situations with family, with direct family especially, I'm totally live and let live. Like I don't laugh at it or or encourage it, but I just like do the like half headcock smirk, like or I don't know. I'm I'm not going to do much other than just move on, and that's not going to change anyone's mind. If I say my side, then nothing's going to happen. Um, well, think think about it on the other side of the fence because on uh, with my with my parents, they they usually don't bring anything up with the church and stuff like that. I mean, there used to be the heydays when it was pretty ugly, but for the most part, the the waters have calmed. But there's these few moments where there's triggers that happen. You know, like my son turning twelve. And the whole priesthood thing, or if my daughter isn't attending young women's. And then there's these issues where there are lines in the sand for them. And then they come to me and say, hey, those are our grandkids. Uh, we don't really appreciate uh, you not encouraging them to you know, do these X, Y, and Z things that encourage them to be part of the church and increase their testimonies and blah, blah, blah. And so then I, then I feel like, wow, okay, well, that's on, like... Man. That's like not just them making a dumb joke. That's like real confrontation. That's a different issue, I guess. Well, oh, no, you got to be consistent, Bob. Live and well, live. <laughs> consistent based on the case by case way I live. Yeah. <laughs> well, because my because my dad, I mean, he essentially said, you know what? Because there was this time where we were having lunch, or whatever. And he says, you know, I can, I can appreciate. You know, you're still a good person. Blah blah blah, and. We'll, we'll just we'll just take it day by day, but I, I can I can still love and support you and blah blah blah, and so it kind of felt like a live and let live kind of thing. Like okay, so he's going to be okay with me from now on, but he's really not. He's <laughs> but yeah, really not. when you when you hear that, isn't part of what? Because I've had that conversation. Like we'll still love you, and you're you're still the same, Bobby. And don't worry, I'm just going to say it a third time to reinforce that I think I believe it. We're, we're still you're still the same. <laughs> And then the th- the first thing that I want to say is like, you two, wow, this is awkward. We both are judging each other so much and lying through our teeth that we're not. This is weird. Let's go watch a movie. <laughs> See, I, I know we're pretty much at the end of the conversation, but you just touched on something that was my big ish- takeaway issue from the, the conversation Tom and I had with Keith. And that was when he said that he was just the same as he was as an ex-Mormon as he was as a Mormon. Yeah. And... I'm thinking, 
I don't know. He described himself as this missionary who's obeying all the rules, but now he doesn't believe in the rule. You know, so when, when you're thinking about it, especially from the perspective of a family member, like a parent or, you know, cousins or whatever, they look at you and they think you are a completely foreign person. So, yeah, so like, what but... does it say if you don't think that you've changed at all and you're not like, is that a lack of self self-awareness or is that them demonizing you or is it a little bit of both? You know, what, well, where's let, the, let me, I want to answer that yeah. question. Thank you. Um, we are the same person. We got the same brain, the same DNA, the same emotional makeup. Uh, you know, maybe our perspective is different and that's what he's not appreciating. Uh, you know, what's going on with his, um, his loved ones and, and friends. Um, but you like, like even my dad, like when I was like openly atheist, very antagonistic towards the church, he knew I did these podcasts he still came on one podcast to do an interview, but like once he just got around me and we just hung out and we went to games and stuff like that, he told the believing siblings, you know what? Randy is still Randy. He's still the same person. And we are the same person. Maybe our, our perspective has shifted, but I think what Keith was getting at is he's still the same chemical, the same chemical makeup that, you know, he's not uh, suddenly a pedophile. <laughs> Suddenly, a rapist. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's uh, suddenly an, an alcoholic. extreme example. I mean, even now, I know I'm giving extreme examples to make a point, but uh, you know, he, 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 we are basically the same person. We you just, just do different have more, things, think different have more, things, believe different things, see the world in a different way, but you're still you put, the same person. Yeah, you put genetically identical people, except that you're not genetically f- identical to who you were uh, uh, nine years ago. Well, roughly, well you know, maybe genetically you speak, are, but you've got all different cells. You're all. I still have the same twenty-three. I know, whatever. I, I have the same twenty-three chromosomes, dude. We could, yeah, you're right. But you, you take four genetically identical people, put them in four different situations. Yeah, they're going to be different because of the, all the experiences they've had and and uh, and, and the, the knowledge that they've gained. Uh, but they're still genetically the same person. And, and it's not like you're going to have some. I think what Keith was getting at, you're not going to have some rapid change in your behavior. Um, just because you don't believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet well, of God. Well, let me, tell, let me tell you why this is important to me. Be, because of, of my first marriage, because I changed so much, and it's important to me to look back, you know, in, in my own self-identity, you know, the way that I see myself, it's important to recognize that I changed a lot from the time that I was a missionary, got back to BYU, and got married at a very young age, and the time that we got divorced. I, I went on a huge trajectory, and, you know, we would go into therapy sessions, and she would talk to the therapist about how different I was. I wasn't the guy that she married, and, you know, the, she kept hoping it was just a phase, and that ultimately... I would get back to who I was before, but I wasn't. I was fundamentally different, and I, I knew it, and I appreciate it. So I, may, maybe Keith is different or, from me, and he was the same person as an ex-Mormon that he was before. Maybe there's people that are like that, but I, it, it's hard for me to see that because that's not my experience, or at least it's not how I want to frame my experience. So that, that's, yeah. that's where... That's why that's where I'm coming from on this. And to, and to build a little bit off of Glenn, because I agree with that, and maybe Randy, our behaviors don't change. But once I open no, our, the door, our behaviors, our behaviors will change. I'm not saying our behaviors. Okay, won't okay, change. okay. But what I'm saying is that when I finally really adapted critical thinking, 
as a, as a normal part of my behavior and the way I, I deal with the world basis, you know, from daily activities or whatever. Yeah. I'm very much like Glenn. Like I, I am a completely different person. I I, I can't even, when, when I think back to old Tom, he just feels like a foreign person to me now. Yeah, but so all the that, same, all the same personality traits you've always had are still there. They're just right, direct, the fun they're ones, just directed like, in a different direction. You, possibly. you like, you like the same flavor of ice cream or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. you fundamentally have a different approach to the universe. So it, it, it's weird because you're the same and you're different at the same time. And it's, it's like right. you can't say one's more than the other. But it, but yeah. it, but, it fe- but it feels like I'm a different person. Maybe you're right, Randy. But it, but from my perception, like if if I read old journals and stuff like that, I think who the hell was this guy that's yeah, how, that's and, how, that's how talking, fundamentally different i feel inside and, and talking about this usually those usually people put the caveat right after they talk about how incredibly immersive and all-consuming the mormon mentality is and how hard it was to break away from that mm-hmm. so it's just like wow the mormon mentality really controls how you view the world and it's incredibly immersive and super controlling and i totally shed that entire worldview but i'm the same person right like, right that's that yeah. doesn't fit together and to me right. it's yeah. it, it, it it's it's also a response to people treat me differently but they shouldn't because i'm not different so it, right. it just seems really dismissive to other people and not recognizing and validating that when they look at you you are a different person to them so well, like yeah, why be dismissive I, I, of that I, I'm right. not. Dis- I'm not dismissive of that. I'm, and I think that was the whole point of his podcast was that he's now viewed through the apostate lens. And so, well, I, think, I don't know why but, we're bringing this up, but it, it just felt like it was the one side, but not giving deference to the other side. I feel like you know, using myself as an example, I, I have a couple siblings who are totally out of the church, and a couple siblings who are totally still in the church. And it's, it's different. It's like when you, when it's for those that are still in the church, my interactions with them, we still love each other. We still know who we are from the way we played as kids, but then there's a certain layer of stuff that's like compartmentalized. And so, yeah, we sort of agree that we're not going to let that get in the way and we're still the same people, but we also agree that we're very different on certain things and we just choose not to, you know, dwell on it so much but i sometimes i subconsciously or or because i'm full of myself i don't know i i can't let it go in my mind and i and it festers or something because i i am more free and less constrained by the lack of compartmentalization that happens when i'm interacting with my my siblings who are out of the church whereas with my siblings in the church it's not that i don't enjoy their company but there is this like layer that's there that we're both doing a dance in some ways yeah, that's because you got nothing to talk about because their whole life is tied up in the church <laughs> yeah. like well, everything's is... superficial but that doesn't mean your personality has changed uh, your per- our personalities remain intact through well, this process but it's the pers- just how we view the world and how we're viewed by other people change. but what is our personality if not how, how, what we're interested in talking about and how we view the world, right? I mean, See, yeah. that's not your personality. That's that's what you. Yeah, that's no, what your right. interests are. That's fair. Your that's person. Okay. okay. Uh, well, I, I I see my personality being slightly different. Maybe you're right, Randy. Maybe it's not different, but I think you're it's still different. the same sweet, lovable guy you've always been. No, yeah, I'm still. I'm, I'm not I'm still an asshole. Guile. <laughs> not of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 
you guys are setting me up for failure, like right yeah. from the big right. Well, I, I, you know, I kind of hammering Keith a little more than I originally intended to, but but you brought up that's the, all right. It'll be edited out. Sure, so. it will. <laughs> but you brought up the apostate lens as being the point of his essay, and I think that's really at, at the the bottom of it. What annoyed me or annoys me about it is because the claim is they view us so differently, but guess what? We're not. So they're wrong. And it, it, it's so dismissive that I just don't I just don't like that. I have a reaction to that. So I thought, well, yeah, I agree. I thought you said I thought you said what bugged you the most. The most? <laughs> bugged you the most? The, the most important. Yeah. Okay, I gotta I gotta pop off. What, what does that mean, Jake? Yeah, that, that really sounds. You like, gotta, you gotta rub one out. Top off. Can we all use that all right. phrase from now on? Anyone for the popping off? <laughs> and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? When are we going to have like a quorum circle jerk? I just, just want, we need to <laughs> we schedule just that. Have one? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.